you've got a Bible, uh, why don't you grab it? We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 this morning. Um, we're going to continue our series through this incredible chapter of the Bible today. And, um, you know, I thought about doing a Father's Day specific message like the moms got. Um, but really, they just work a lot harder than we do. <laughs> and uh, so... Um, I think I heard a groan from up here. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not in your house. Um, but here, here's seriously why we're not going to do a specific Father's Day message. That is because um, what we've been seeing in this series so far is that life is ultimately about love. Um, the way we've said it, uh, the way we've seen it in Scripture is that you can have all the gifts in the world. Uh, you can have all the talents in the world. You can have all the success in the world. You can join all the right causes. But if you do all that without love, it's meaningless. And the same is true of parenting, that you could have all the right parenting techniques. Uh, you could sleep train your child or not, whatever's the right one in your home. Um, you could uh, homeschool your child or not. Again, wherever you land on that one, that one got tense. Uh, <laughs> you could raise your child to be a Giants fan or a Dodgers fan. Now, I don't think that one's as open but some of you would think that that one is open as well, right? Like, you can land in all the right spots, and you can judge all the right spots on those things later. Uh, you could give your child absolutely everything they need to succeed in life, but if you do it all apart from love, what they're going to hear is a clanging cymbal. It'll be meaningless, and worse than meaningless, in the end, it's just kind of annoying. And before you amen that too quickly about your old man... You just point out that if your dad were here, I'm sure he could say the same about you. Um, I know that my dad could definitely say the same about me. Um, the truth is, when you look at this picture, this description of love we get in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, we all fall short of this. We all uh, don't measure up to this. We are all clanging symbols at times. Uh, it's why the world is the way that it is. We, we lack love. Some of us more than others. But the invitation of this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, is to know the God who is love, who lives this way perfectly uh, because it's who he is. It's out of the essence of who he is that he lives this way. And through a relationship with him, we ourselves can grow in this most excellent way of living called love. Do you want that? Yes. Do any dads want that? I, I was like, I heard from some women, which is awesome, because this is for all of us. But dads, this is your Father's Day message. Do you, do you want that? All right. Well, then with that said, uh, what we're going to do is like we do every week in this series, we're going to read this radical description of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we'll pull out the specific piece we're going to look at today. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 7 says this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres love 
Does anybody know which piece of that picture we've come to today? Anyone here last week that can do the math? Y'all are nervous. It's okay to talk in church. It's okay if you get the wrong one. If you're like, love always protects. No, that's the end of summer. Doesn't envy or boast. Okay, so some good guesses here. Yeah, we are, we're going to be looking at love doesn't envy today. Envy. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Now, here, here's what I'll, I'll say. Uh, uh, we're on a journey of freedom this morning, folks. Uh, when Paul says that love doesn't envy, he is saying something incredible here. And so w- with that in mind, love doesn't envy, let's look at it and let's start by chatting about um, what is envy. Why do we all get nervous just now? Well, um, envy is different than what we might refer to as jealousy. Um, see, je- here, here's the difference. Jealousy is the feeling that occurs uh, when something is at risk of being taken away from you. Um, Jealousy is ultimately about something that's yours or that you perceive to be yours, which is why there can be good forms of jealousy. Uh, In Exodus 34, the passage that we looked at last week, God describes himself there as a jealous God. Uh, In that context, he's jealous over his people. What, What he's saying there is, I don't want you to give yourself to foreign gods because they will destroy you and you are mine. And so there can be a good kind of jealousy. That's the kind of jealousy God experiences. And if you never felt that kind of jealousy, you've never really loved anything. Um, But that would be another sermon. That's jealousy. Um, Jealousy is ultimately about something that you have or think that you have. Um, But envy, it's not like that. Envy is the desire for something you know you don't have. Uh, Envy is when you feel that you lack something. And so you look around and maybe you see something in the life of someone around you. And you see what they have and you go, that is what I need. If only I had that, which I know I don't. But if I had that, then I would be happy. That's envy. And if you want to know where you do this, some of you are like, I don't want to know where I do this. Uh, Remember, we're on a journey of freedom this morning. I I really mean that. This text is after our freedom. It's after our joy. And as we so often say here, we can be honest with God and one another because God loves us where we're really at. So we don't have to pretend we don't do this. We can take an honest look this morning. If you want to know where you do this, here's a question you can ask. Where does the grass look greener on the other side of the fence? Are you familiar with that expression? Um, If you're younger and that doesn't make sense, where when you're scrolling on your phone, do you see things and begin to feel like, if only I had what they had? If only I had that. If only I looked the way that they look. If only people thought of me and respected me like they respect that person then I would be happy. Where does the grass look greener on the other side of the fence? That is what the Bible calls envy. Whatever you would fill in the blank there, uh, you're filling that in. That's the thing that you envy. And it's, it's almost hard for us to see because we live in a culture that has built an entire industry around this. It's called marketing. Uh, And and I'm not looking down on anyone right now. Karen will tell you right now, I'm a huge sucker for good marketing. 
Um, so like I'll see a commercial for a toothpaste that like nine out of ten dentists recommend. And all of a sudden I'm like, I cannot sleep until we get that toothpaste. And I dang sure cannot use that case of toothpaste we just got from Costco because I don't know what that one out of ten dentist is thinking, but I'm with the nine. And now my mouth just feels dirty and I cannot rest until I can bring myself into alignment with this thing that the majority of dentists recommend for me. That's envy. I mean, marketing. I mean, yeah. It creates that um, dissettled feeling in you that I'm not okay until I have it. Some of you are like, well, what's the one dentist on to? That's called a conspiracy theory. That'd be another message. <laughs> But, but, okay, okay, back to the point. Holy Spirit's like, back to the point here. Okay. Um, so envy is this desire for something you don't have. And it's not just the desire. Like, I'm not saying it's wrong to desire something that you don't have. In fact, God says in the scriptures, hey, bring your request to me. Make your request known to me. He says, I love you. I'm for you. So come and tell me what you want. So it's not wrong to want things. But that's not what envy is. Envy isn't simply desiring something. Envy is where something goes from a want to a need in your heart. To where you go from saying it might be nice to have that toothpaste to my mouth will feel dirty until I have it. To my life will feel restless until I get it. And we can do it with things far more seriously than toothpaste. It becomes a consuming desire. So if you want a definition for envy, I would use the word it's a consuming desire for something you don't have. To the point where you feel restless without it. To where you feel incomplete without it. To where you become fixated on it. And you can't enjoy all the things that you do have. Because you don't have that thing. That is envy. And it's so, it's so easy to look at that and say, well man, everybody does that. I was thinking about that this week. I'm like, if that's what envy is, I'm looking all the biblical references up. I'm like, if that's envy, we all envy. Um, it's so easy to look at that and say, well, everyone does it. But what I hope you can see this morning is this is not just some cute little vice um, that we can maybe tame and keep under control and kind of laugh it away because we all do it. What I hope you will see this morning is that envy is a snare that can ruin your life. Uh, and, and it may be ruining your life right now. Uh, listen to how uh, the wisest human who ever lived put it. Listen to what Solomon says in Proverbs uh, chapter 14, verse 30. He says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Do you believe that? That envy will rot your soul from the inside out. I was thinking about this week. I'm like, I know envy is like not on the happy list. This is the part of what love doesn't do. This list will tell us what love does and what love doesn't do to give us this full dynamic 3D picture. I know love's like not on the good team, or excuse me, envy's not on the good team, but rot my soul? That all of this focusing on this thing you don't have, do you believe that that will cause your soul to shrivel up on the inside to where you won't? be able to enjoy all of the good things that you have, that this fixation on what you don't have is toxic. 
that'll eat away at your inner joy, that'll steal away your ability to celebrate and enjoy life. It will steal life from you and instead rot your bones from the inside out. That's what the wisest human filled with the Holy Spirit says about envy. And it's not just Solomon. Um, that is what I think we see in the church in Corinth. Um, see, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember this is one of the most gifted churches uh, in the ancient world. Maybe one of the most gifted churches in history. Um, this church had so many spiritual gifts. They had a lot of wealth and resources. But instead of making a dent in the universe for Jesus, they were turned inward on themselves. And they were focused on all the things that they didn't have. Instead of using the gifts that God gave them, they were sitting around going, I wish I could speak in tongues. I wish I could prophesy. I wish I had that gift. Instead of using the gifts that they had, they were sitting around looking inwardly. And this is the problem with envy. It always makes you feel inadequate. No matter how much you have. And it's always easier to see in the life of another person than it is in your own. But this is the dynamic that's happening in your life and in my life. That where envy gets a foothold in our lives. We'll struggle with senses of inadequacy even though we have so much. Because we're not focused on the things that we have. By definition, we are focused on the things that we lack. And this posture of lack, it will not only rot your soul from the inside out, where it makes you feel like you are nothing and you have nothing. And so you start to behave in ways that look crazy, but it will rot your bones. But it's not even just that. It's okay, so envy rots the bones. It eats us up from the inside out. It causes us to miss out on all the good things we have and to focus on all the things we don't. It, it causes us to live from a posture of lack. But envy is not just content with you. It doesn't just destroy your life. It seeps through you to the people around you. One pastor I was reading this week said it this way. He said, envy is the great destroyer of churches and communities. Now, I'll say it again. I, I entered study this week. I knew envy, not a good thing. I don't think that I appreciated the severity of envy. I don't think I appreciated why Paul says the very first negative thing is that love never will, will not ever even conceive of it. Love will not envy. Envy is the enemy of love. Like, why is Paul so insistent about that? Why would someone say that envy is the destroyer of churches and communities? As I've reflected on, I think there's a couple of reasons. I, I actually think there's a lot of reasons. I'll give you two for the sake of time. Um, I usually give you three, so I'm trying to switch it up today. I'll give you two reasons. Maybe the Holy Spirit will highlight a third. Maybe you can come up with a third. Um, I'll give you one reason that's obvious and one that's not so obvious. At least it wasn't to me. I'll start with the not so obvious one. Um, number one, envy takes away our margin. Um, especially in this area. 
let me explain this one. Um, if you look around at what others have in this vital, if you look around at what others have in this valley, um, it's very easy to envy. I mean, I don't know about you. It feels like everyone I know has a four-bedroom house, has like 17 hobbies, has a boat, has two Teslas, you know, for the sake of the environment. And, and I don't know, the details for you, the, the circles you run in might be different in those regards, but we live in a valley that is very affluent, amen? And so, um, if we look at what other people have, it's just, it's, I, don't, I don't know about you, I think it's very easy to envy when you open your eyes and just look at what people have around you in this area. And, and hear me, um, this isn't the don't have nice stuff sermon. I actually think that's really cool to have a boat um, if you can afford that. If you could do that, like, man, have a boat to the glory of God. Have a great time. Jesus had some good times on a boat. He went water skiing. He didn't need the water skis. You will, but, man, have a good time to the glory of God and maybe call me. Um, these things are awesome. These things are good. There's nothing wrong with this stuff. The problem is when you can't afford this stuff and you try to live like you can anyway. And I think, I, I don't know about you, that's the pull for me in this valley. That um, to see what, particularly for us, it's uh, our daughter's friends their parents have to go well oh man i mean we, we got to keep up with them right we don't want the kids to get left behind and so it's father's day dad I'll, dads i'll pick on this a little bit like don't we sometimes do this for the sake of the children a am i the only one that's ever thought like well man if if all their friends have pools and kids that age want to do pool parties, and if I ever want their friends to come over here and for not them to not be the weirdo that no one ever comes to their house, we got to find a way to have a house with a pool. Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Any of you ever go, well, man, if all of my kids' friends have, like, personal trainers, well, i got to go get a personal trainer for my kids so they don't fall behind. Any of you do that with academics? Like, oh man, I need, to get them, I need to get them tutoring because if by the time they're out of kindergarten, they can't do their times tables, how are they going to get into Harvard? And so we go out and chase these things for the sake of our kids and we work and we work and we work to try to afford this stuff. And like I said, maybe it's actually noble. But you get home at the end of the day and you're just exhausted. Because you're aiming for something beyond your means. Again, if these are within your means, by God, all means, God bless you, enjoy them. But we're talking about envy, which is something you don't have and aiming for it anyway. And we get home at the end of the day and we're exhausted because we're working long hours to try to achieve these things that we don't have for the sake of the children. And we've got no energy left by the time we get home for our family, let alone friendships. We have no margin in our life for deep conversation or, frankly, for getting together at all. And then we wonder why we don't have meaningful and significant relationships in our lives. It's because the desire for a lifestyle has left you meaningless. 
And look, if you do this long enough, if you do this long enough, I've seen this one play out. If you do this long enough, if you work the extra hours long enough, you might be able to get the stuff that you wanted. But even if you do, it'll never be enough. That's Solomon's testimony in Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. It's all going to be meaningless at the end of the day because life isn't about stuff. It's about love. And if you burn yourselves to the margins where you have no time for real relationships with real people just to get that next thing you think you need or your kid needs, that envy will suck your soul dry and leave you empty. And so that's the first way that envy, it's, it just sucks the life out of our relationships. It sucks the life out of our relationships by sucking dry all the margin and time and energy we have to give to relationships. And so it, it keeps us from love by keeping us from relationships. It keeps us from showing up in the first place. We're not even there because we're so busy trying to have more. That, that's the first way. Um, but the second way I want to talk about, this happens when we actually do show up. Um, and so, so let's talk about what, happen, what can happen with envy. If we can, if, let's say you can get past that barrier and create enough margin in your life for meaningful relationships with other people. Which again, I will say one last time. I think that is one of the main struggles in this valley. Of creating margin for relationships. But let, let's say you can get there. Okay, number two. Envy causes us, if you show up, to resent the blessings of others. I mean, let, let's have some real talk. Have you, some of you are like, what was that before? Um, have you ever had something great happen to someone in your life? And then you have a hard time celebrating that great thing in their life? Um, you, you don't have to amen that one out loud, because I know there's not a person in here that hasn't experienced that. Where you feel like, gosh, I mean, I feel like I deserve that. I mean, good for them. I'm happy for them. But I kind of feel like if they deserve it, I like super deserve that. And, and, and maybe you begin to think consciously or subconsciously, well, hey, who are they to get that? They need to get in line. It's behind me, myself, and I. That puts them in fourth place. And, and look, I don't think anyone wants to live like this. But we've all been there. And I think it can be helpful to name that dark part of us that we don't like. That part of us that can't celebrate in the good of others. That always has to tear down to feel better about yourself. The Bible calls that envy. This is what envy does. It makes us unable to celebrate the blessings of others which we'll see in a few weeks, that is an essential aspect of love. That love rejoices in true and good things. It celebrates with others. But envy cuts that off in the knees because we are living from such a posture of lack when we give ourselves to envy that all we can focus on is what we don't have. And so when other people get good things, we just get more frustrated. Again, like, hey, fine and dandy for them to get it, but what about me? And that resentment 
I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I think that resentment almost always leads to conflict. I mean, ask Joseph what happened when his daddy gave him a colorful coat. Now, it was a fashion statement in that time in the world. It was a nice coat. Ask him if his brothers enjoyed that and if he had a great relationship with them afterwards. Um, This is something I noticed this week as I was looking up envy in the Bible. The Bible will very often, when envy comes up, the word strife or argument or fight or murder will be right next to it. And I think the reason is, is because when we see someone getting something that we think we should have, then we try to take it. And the way James, the half-brother of Jesus, says it is, well, this is why there's arguments among you is because you want, but you don't have. So you try to take it from the person that has. And then he says, that'll escalate all the way into murder. And if you haven't murdered anyone, congratulations. But my half-brother Jesus has something to say about anger and how serious that is. See, the Bible so often connects envy with strife and murder because I do think there's a... In that resentment that is incapable of celebrating with someone else because we feel our lack. I think it tends to spill over into arguments and violence to try to take what we feel like we lack from one another. And again, this is why you'll see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says this is why I can't even tell you about some of the things I want to tell you in this letter because you are still behaving like spiritual children where you're giving yourself over to envy the church is full of arguments and he's going to say in chapter 10 you might as well stop meeting for a little while until we can deal with this because your church it's gifted but it's a mess i don't think we've come so far in 2000 years that that's not relevant to us this is what envy does it It stops us from having enough time to have meaningful relationships. And if we do show up, even when we do, it keeps us from having a heart that is freed up to love in an open and others-centered sort of way. And so envy, it not only eats us up on the inside, it eats up everyone and everything that we come in contact with. And like I said, I, I don't think anyone wants to live this way this is why i think this chapter is so popular at weddings because i think christian or not you can read this and see the wisdom in this that when paul says love does not envy it's like he's saying there is a better way of living that doesn't operate out of a posture of lack that doesn't rot from the inside out and become toxic to the people around you. There's this thing called love that operates in a completely different sort of way. And I think this is why Christian or not, we jump at this chapter and we go, yes, love does not envy is the invitation into another world. And so how do we get there? Um, Karen and I were in church one time where the pastor said, uh, compare down. Um, basically, he, he was saying, um, it, it seems like oftentimes when we compare ourselves, we compare to people with more than us. And if you would stop doing that, like don't compare yourself to Jeff Bezos unless you're Elon Musk. You guys aren't on the same playing field. All right, compare yourself to someone that's closer to you. 
Um, and, and I think there's some wisdom in that. Um, that's, that's an option for how to deal with envy. It's compare down instead of compare up. Uh, it was not an option that Karen was particularly thrilled with. <laughs> As she pointed out in the car on the way home, um, at the end of the day, you're still comparing yourself with other people. See, what we ultimately need here is not just a change in perspective to say, hey, your definition of normal and getting by is inflated by Facebook and Instagram and you need to just deflate that by getting out a little bit and meeting some real people. Again, I think there's some wisdom in that, but that's not ultimately what we need. What we ultimately need, that will last you until one bad thing happens in your life, until one unexplainable thing happens in your life, which I don't know if you've lived long enough, but unexplainable things happen in life. Tragic things happen in life. It doesn't matter who you're comparing to. It's going to be disorienting. So we can't just compare ourselves to others. What we ultimately need is to be saved from our limited resources. That's the whole point of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is not compare yourself to others, you have it better than you know. And to be fair, that pastor wasn't saying that, but I think this is how we can often take sermons like this. I'll try to be more grateful this week. Maybe that'll work out better than patience did last week. But the good news of Jesus is not Try to be a little more grateful. The good news is if there's a king of heaven who has all things, whose resources are literally limitless, he makes Jeff Bezos look like a beggar. His resources are utterly limitless. And that king of heaven, what he has done is he left his heavenly throne of comfort and came to the earth. And though he was rich, he became poor. So that you and I, who compared to him, even if you're Jeff Bezos, I don't know if he's watching online or listening, but probably not now that I say that out loud. <laughs> There's probably some algorithm. Anyway, sorry, I'm preaching the gospel here. Um, the king of heaven, though he is rich, comes to earth and becomes poor so that you and I, who are poor, can become rich. That's the gospel. It's not a prosperity gospel like you'll be able to fill up your car with gas this week because the riches will rain down from the heavens. It's so much more than that. It's spiritual riches. It is everlasting life. The way that Jesus describes it, he describes it in so many ways. One of my favorite ways is in the Gospel of John. What he says to a woman who is uh, getting well, water from a well. He takes that picture and he says, Hey, you know how you have to keep here and you have to keep coming and drinking because you just get thirsty again? I will give you a type of living water that when you drink of this, it will well up inside of you and become a spring of life that wells up to eternal life. He says, I'll give you something that you don't have to keep providing for yourself. I'll give you something you could never provide for yourself. I will give you eternal resources that will tap into the harmony of the universe that exists within me. I'll give that water to you. And he's so committed to giving us this living water, these eternal resources that he left his comfort of heaven 
came to the earth and died on the cross, experiencing the ultimate poverty, the ultimate loss, so that by dying in our place for our sins, he could trade us his inheritance and the righteousness that is due his name. He could say, if you trust in me, that is now your inheritance. I mean, that's the whole book of Ephesians. That was the first book we did when I got here, that we've been given a beautiful inheritance in Christ. That though we are sinners who are uh, strugglers and mess up and are imperfect on our best days, Jesus is a good God whose resources are limitless. And he loves us so much that he died on a cross so he could take away our burdens and trade us his limitless resources and say, because of what I've done, you now get to come into a relationship with the God for whom and through whom all things exist. And I'll give to you from my riches. I'll let you drink living water. I'll put my spirit inside of you. You can know me. You can have what David was talking about when he says that, man, I have everything I need. I'll give you the fulfillment of that promise. I will give you from my eternal resources everything you could ever dream of. That's the God we have in the gospel. And it is when, through experiencing the riches of his grace, We can go from a posture of lack to a posture of overflow. We can go from fixating on what we don't have to, through a relationship with Jesus, realizing the God of the universe looks at us and is crazy about us and has done all things necessary to give us a future and a hope that is uh, unperishing, waiting in heaven for us and bursting into this world now through the power of the Holy Spirit. When we realize that, we can begin to live a life of overflow. Where we're not focused on what we don't have, but we're like, are you kidding me? If I have that, like, I mean, a pool would still be nice, but I think I'm going to have an oceanfront view in eternity with the one who made the oceans. I think my kids will get by just fine. This is what Jesus has done in the gospel. He takes us with our limited resources and says, you were never meant to have enough. You are meant to receive eternal life as a gift. Day by day, moment by moment, you are meant to drink from the living water that I've brought into this world. And just like envy passes through you and rots everything around you, so the living water that I pour into your heart is meant to be a fountain that flows, not only living water that restores your bones and brings life to your body, but brings life to those around you. That's the invitation of this chapter, to know the God who is love and through drinking more deeply of his love begin to overflow to where you are so full of that love that envy is the farthest thing from you. That's how this happens. And so the answer, I mean, this is going to be the answer every week. And frankly, even outside of the series, the answer every week, the answer is Jesus. We need more of Jesus. We are the problem. He is the answer. He gives us hope. And through his grace, we can participate with him in bringing his answer to the world. But I want to apply that specifically to Envy this week. Um, Because that's the answer every week. But I always want to try to say in a fresh way. 
Um, so, so let's think specifically about envy. If you, if you believe that, you say, okay, in Jesus, I can live a life of overflow, and it's crazy that I live out of a posture of lack when I have all of that. Welcome to my last week, by the way. It's crazy that I live like this when I have that. If you would say that, how do you go from living like this to increasingly live like this? Here's, here's another question I'll give you. The first question I gave you is convicting. This one will be fun. It'll also be convicting, but it'll lead to life. When you find yourself envying, I encourage you to ask this question, why do I feel like I need that? Why do I feel like I lack that? Because this is how you apply the gospel specifically to the issue of envy. If envy is feeling this consuming desire for something that you don't have, and in the gospel we're promised that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are told that God is for us, and he wouldn't hold out on us, but if envy is the accusation that God is holding out on us, when you realize that, ask the question, why? Why do I feel like I need that? See, spiritual growth doesn't occur by white-knuckling and doing what the preacher said on Sunday better. Spiritual growth occurs as we invite God into our brokenness. As we invite the Holy Spirit into that space to say, God, I believe that in Christ I have a life of overflow. It's crazy that I'm living a life of lack, but you know my heart. I feel like I need this thing right now. I don't understand my own heart. Would you reveal my heart to me? I don't know why I need this. Or why I feel like I need this. Or maybe you do know why you feel like you need that thing and won't be okay until you get it. Maybe you tell him about that and invite God into that moment and say, I believe that you've given me every spiritual blessing, but I do not feel that in this moment. My bones are rotting inside of my soul, and would you free me afresh to see what I have in you so that I might live out of overflow instead of lack this week. I believe that is a powerful prayer. And the words aren't magical. The idea is you invite God into that moment and you talk to him about it and you confess the gospel. I believe I have everything. I don't know why I don't feel it. Would you help me? A famous prayer in the gospel of Mark is I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe you've given me a life of overflow. It's not connecting here. Holy Spirit, would you help my unbelief and catch me up to what I know is true in the gospel? If you ask for that, his promise is I will give you an overflow of life that will well up to eternal life. What if every time you found yourself envying, you just invited God into that moment? That's the vision of 1 Corinthians 13. Is you invite the God who is love into that moment. He will begin to shape and work and mold and form you into this more excellent way. And, and, I, and I can say that's a promise. I, I want to close with one of the most beautiful prayers in the New Testament. Because the truth is, folks, you already, if you are in Christ, you already have everything. I already have everything. Inviting in God into that moment does not change my spiritual status before God, but here, here's what it does. It gives an opportunity to line my soul up with what is true. 
And I think we forget how often we need that. But one of my favorite prayers in the Bible, it actually comes from the book of Ephesians, this book about our inheritance in Christ, uh, says this. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you the strength to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled with the fullness of God. That is what we need, folks. We don't need more. We need to be aware of the more that we already have. And so that's the invitation of 1 Corinthians 13, to know the love of God. And so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take some time to sing about the love of God. We are going to come forward and take communion and ask God, just like Ephesians 3, would you make more of your love real to me in this place where I feel like I lack? I believe if we can do that, we will see the beauty of the life that 1 Corinthians 13 is written to tell us about. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father, you are a good father whose resources are limitless. Uh, my brain lacks the categories to even understand what it is like. To have someone so committed to my good that will never fall short of what I need. But I believe that's who you are. That is what I see in the way you've sent your son. That is what I see page after page in your word. And that is what you've shown me time and time again. And so, um, Father, I ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to pour your love into our hearts. That you would help us to see, uh, not just generally, but specifically in the place where we feel like we lack more of the height and the depth and the breadth and the width of your love. That we might be freed from the posture of lack that our um, forgetful vision sometimes falls into. And that we might be freed up to live a life of overflow that's caught up in the living waters you've poured out through your son for us. Would you help us to know what we know, to believe what we believe about our inheritance a little bit more and free our hearts from the grip of envy that we might be increasingly a people that live the way of love. We ask all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus.